literally hi literally hi um welcome back everyone <laughs> yeah welcome back to the platform um <laughs> we took a little a hiatus um i think we took longer of a hiatus than maybe it seemed we did because we recorded our last episode uh, like a quite a few days before i posted it so like we've been off and then like we both were like we'll take a social media break like before all of this happened and so we were sort of like logged off and not recording for quite a period of time uh yeah taking a knee if you will (laughs) um truly taking a knee Um, but yeah i mean i think in the time basically I don't know, I like logging off was really helpful because I just started reading more like long form stuff. And I yeah. think that whenever, you know, the protests started, there was more like like I've never really like explored the topic of like abolishing the police before. Like that's definitely not been like in my like yeah, intellectual lexicon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there was a lot of between like that and like, you know, the whole like anti racism dialogue, like I feel like there was a lot for me to think think through in the last like couple weeks of course um, well whether i'm to... like more decided on anything or like <laughs> smarter or whatever is like i guess still up for debate but i think most people are usually better for logging off i mean we like we live and we think as like a mirror to how we consume that's like a connor habib thing and like mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i think when we consume like as kind of, like, frenetically in, like, Generation ADD as, like, social media and clickbait. As scrolling, yeah. Yeah, Mm. like, impulseless too. Um, Then we just, like, we think and we respond and we make decisions in that way. And so none of our thoughts are, like, complete or, like, yeah, like, fleshed out. Um, Yeah, and I think, like, you know, part of why I like podcasting is that I think that you and I both, like, come to the best conclusions in a more, like, long-form dialogue, discussion sort of way. And definitely, I don't know how it is now since I haven't been on Instagram or, like, whatever in a while, but, like, there was no fucking room for discussion. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I mean, when when the protests first happened, like, and I, I mean, I live in Oakland and they were pretty, like, crazy here that first weekend. Um... I felt, like, really apocalyptic. Like, I... Because I didn't really know what was going on, and I, like, didn't really know where, like, everything was... Like, it just felt like such, like, a sudden explosion. And I... Like, my brain was, like, going through, like... uh, Like, the first thing I thought was, like, oh, my God, like, we're gonna have a huge fucking coronavirus outbreak. Which, like, I don't know how everybody's brains didn't, like, go to that immediately. But I I think, like, after a period of, like, three months of social distancing, just, like, seeing images of, like, huge crowds of people was, like, so... It it felt like the end of the world. Yeah, like (laughs) completely uncanny. Um... Yeah, and it, it felt really insane because, you know, the same people who were doing this, like, shit of, like, posting pictures of people hanging out in Central Park and, like, shaming them for, like, right. you know, going outside or whatever were now, like, shaming people for not going out and, like, mass gathering. And, like, it, it, it was just, it was the weirdest thing to witness because I just felt like, I was like, did I, like, lose a week of my life or something? Like, did a bunch of shit happen that I just, like 
like what happened? Yeah. You know? <clears throat> yeah. I, I had like the same reaction, I guess, initially that I had with like the back to work protests, which was just like, how can I like live in like, how can reality be like this bifurcated in terms of like what certain groups are like accepting as truth and what other groups are rejecting like how yeah. like how can these yeah. realities exist simultaneously and that's without passing value judgment on like black lives matter or back to work like i mean but both kind of like lived in that like just complete juxtaposition with like the simultaneous reality of like a literal global pandemic that's like killing millions of people um so. well right i mean it just felt it felt so I, I guess it's just felt like for the last three months, you know, we basically put everything on hold for coronavirus. And I think there were a lot of things that shouldn't have been put on hold, like, you know, the fact that, like, rent has just, like, continued, <laughs> for example. Like, we're right. still just being like, yeah. okay, everybody, like, pay your rent, even if you, like, aren't going to work, which, like, the majority of you are not. And, like, yeah. there's definitely been, like, I guess it was just this, like, shocking kind of, like, just just such like a chaotic push out of like this moment where we all our lives were all defined by coronavirus for three months straight and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden they weren't anymore instantly or like, instantly some of them still were and others weren't and <clears throat> both of those sides kind of like violently or dogmatically uh stood by whichever they believed right well right and it was it, it it's this it was this very interesting like um, like, basically tribalism over what was happening in the sense that, like, you know, the right who had been doing this whole, like, oh, like, reopen the economy, like, I want my freedom, whatever, we're now, like, calling on Trump to send in the National Guard and, like, praising, right. like, the curfews that were being instated by, like, you know, just, like, totally flipping. And then the left... Mm -hmm. Which, when I say the left, it's, like, hard to even know what I'm saying because the left is so, like, disorganized and there's not really, like, leadership. Like, leadership is so much, like, just, like, being reactionary and, like, managing a response that it's... it's Sure, and it's, even like, say that factionalized, right? Right, right, right. And But I, I guess when I say the left, I mean more, like, the the consensus on the left that we were going to, like, listen to the scientists or whatever. Sure, yeah. Like, that sort of consensus... I, I don't even... Like, I mean, okay, so we... We, we we read this article that was basically um, talking about the way that the public health authorities had essentially, like, flip-flopped, <laughs> uh -huh. like, their position on mass gatherings in the wake of, like, the protests. And, um, like... There was, like, an open letter that had been, like, signed by over a thousand public health, like, academics and practitioners uh, that basically had a part that said, you know, as public health advocates, we do not condemn these gatherings as risky for COVID-19 transmission. Right. Um, we support them as vital to the national, national public health and to the threatened health specifically of Black people in the United States. And we can show that support by facilitating safest protesting practices without detracting from the demonstrators' ability to gather and demand change. And then this line, which kills me, I know. this should this should not be confused with a permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-at-home orders. Those actions not only oppose public health interventions, but are also rooted in white nationalism and run contrary to respect for Black lives. Which is 
insane. It's to, ins- that, and that was right. like an open letter that From was signed like by thousands. The public of, I mean, health community. Yeah. Yeah. And like the professional just, organization. It was it was the weirdest thing in the. It, just seeing that shift and like you know there was the open letter like people from the CDC were saying that like there was just this total I I mean the people like social distancing was out the window you know and it was right the rhetoric was like well you know white supremacy is more dangerous than coronavirus which I actually like agree with I guess in the sense that like structural racism definitely like results in more deaths than like coronavirus has just by numbers i don't okay, know like I, you can right. you can make that argument but i you don't can. think it's a scientific one it's not a scientific argument and so i think posturing as health like public health professionals is like extremely irresponsible right you know what i mean yeah i mean that argument is difficult too because i think you could like um yes i would say that structural racism causes more death deaths than the coronavirus um but i also think that like eradicating coronavirus in the short term is a possibility for like an organized collective of people whereas eradicating racism i mean i just feel like i'm still a little bit unclear as to like what exactly that means and i also am unsure if like eradicating racism aka creating a colorblind future where like kind of we are all one i don't know that that's like in the specific interest of marginalized racial groups which is um i don't know just a a, some a question that i've definitely been pondering since like the inception of the protests as i kind of try to decipher like what exactly we are protesting against and what we're protesting well and i think that that's a normal reaction right is that like you know you kind of have to like (laughs) i i I guess i just like i get this impression that like you know this open letter and a lot of the statements that are being made be it public health officials or really like any person in power right now because basically everybody is being called upon to make a statement like Uh i just right i feel like like unless you already know shit about what like, about, like, police brutality or, like, abolishing the police or, like, racism or whatever, which I would say probably the average person doesn't really know much about because we're not taught it or, like, you know, like, it's, I Mm. I mean, like, it's on purpose, you know, like, I, I, like, I I think unless you've really thought about these things before, you can't have a take within, like, 24 fucking hours. And that, that to me, I mean, it just feels like a lot of shit was kind of just parroting and, like, throwing stuff together to mitigate a response and sort of for like each individual's or each corporation's or each group's like own personal interests, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, because I think, I, I think it's impossible to not have a complex, complicated view on what's happening right now with, Like, with coronavirus going on, I don't know how you can, like, do this, like, black and white, like, you're either with with us or you're against us. You're either a racist or you're not a racist. Well, if you're not being anti-racist, then you're racist, you know, like, that sort of, and I think that that, I think that that sort of, 
propositioning works in a lot of different situations. Like, I think that the argument, if you're not anti-racist, then you are racist, does make, or, or white silence equals violence, like all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. I think they make sense in their context. But the problem was that like all these people sort of just like co-opted them to mean whatever made sense for their own like personal whatever was going on, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, it, yeah, it just was like hard to watch, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know what else to say. It was hard to watch and it was sad to see... I don't know, it was sad to see that that something that I thought was gone, which was kind of like the monolithic, like, cancel culture of, like, there's one way to think about things, and if you don't think about them that way, then, like, fuck you. Right. Like, that can't be the way. You know what I mean? Like, and it was really hard to see that. No, I mean, it, like, directly gave rise to, like, the Trump movement in something that's, like, infinitely more, like, hateful and organized. Um, If your only tactic is to kind of, like delete um your kind of your opposition from the like well right because you can't like you you can't just like i think that i i I guess like i i don't understand like what's the end game here with sort of like the let's like cancel or fire or whatever anybody who doesn't like put the exact rhetoric forth that we have like scripted for them to put forth like it doesn't change people's minds and they also don't disappear. They just no, get they pushed to somewhere. the fringe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They become more hateful, more radical, and, like, probably become more organized than you because they, like, have kind of, like, there's more of a populism to their, um, who they're able to organize with. Um, well, and, and you have to be able to engage with those who oppose you in a way that is constructive for your movement and i don't think that well it's how we grow like spiritually yeah, exactly. as individuals um, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah is through like challenging ourselves and like being confronted with opposition um yeah i mean i i think just what was so um I don't know. I mean, I li- I live right now with my parents who are older and still taking the quarantine really, really seriously. So a lot of the kind of like, a lot of my perspective about how seriously to take the quarantine has been very like informed by them and kind of following mm-hmm. like and respecting their like decision making. And And so, yeah, I mean, I think that the idea that like, you know, for three months, we had kind of collectively decided alongside the scientific community that, like, there is a moral obligation to, like, the less powerful among us that we stay inside to suddenly shifting. Um, And now, kind of, if you're not taking... To me, it seems that if you're not taking the streets and if you're not gathering in crowds and contributing to this kind of rising volume of kind of um protest then you're there's your there's a parallel kind of like moral obligation that you're not obeying and i think that kind of like that flip-flopping from like one to the other of like completely antithetical habits like i don't know i mean that is like an authoritarian impulse that is like the like, that is the kind of acquiescing to from one dictate to another, absolutely and without questioning. And, you know, the kind of, like, it's a Stalinist kind of, like, 
impulse to just like observe kind of what this you know whether it's arbitrary or authoritarian or whatever the leadership has kind of like guided us to decide um Mm -hmm. yeah well and i think that i think that there probably are okay you know if you look at this very optimistically like this sort of shift of Mm -hmm. like people becoming very vocally anti-racist um what what percentage of the population that actually is, like, I don't know, you know, but definitely in terms of, like, the academic world and social media and mm-hmm. media, yeah. that's definitely, like, <laughs> the tone of the moment, right? Is like, yeah, people are all being very vocally... Yeah, you call it the specter of liberalism. Um. Right, and I, I think, like, I think the, the, the thing with that is that, you know, a lot of these people... I think if you look at it optimistically, you can you can make the argument that there are a lot of people who in all the free time that they've had in coronavirus and all the things that have been removed from their life, they've had time to like think deeper about like politics or whatever. And, you know, they're speaking up now for the first time. I'm sure there is a faction of people that that is true for. Uh-huh. But I think for a lot of the people that have been online this whole fucking time, like, I, I think for a lot of them, it's basically personally and professionally advantageous to to appear in support of a cause whether they actively support it or not because like or at least a cause that like let's face it like has widespread support amongst like the media academics even corporations yeah Um, well i mean i don't think that's not those people are not necessarily like down like that doesn't necessarily indicate a like a spiritual awakening, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, like, like I guess that's, that's where I'm kind of like are almost antithetical. I would say to a spiritual awakening because they well, like... right? And I I think that your your feeling, your like emotional state right now is dependent on whether you think people are actually waking up or if it's more of the same. Yeah. Right now, mm-hmm. you know, like is this something that's further dividing us and further putting people into their camps that they were already in? Right. Yeah. Or is this a moment when people are waking up? Of course. No, I think that's what's really kind of... And, I mean, yeah. So, I think I oscillate, like, every roughly 90 minutes between thinking that, like, the protests are, like, exquisitely beautiful because I think there's literally no other way to instigate, like, social or economic reform on, like, are kind of, like besides protesting to thinking that they are like kind of terrifying because I think that they could potentially usher in a more violent era of like privatized police and security or like uh like expanded military power or even like expanded corporate power if like all of our small businesses crash and burn and then you know we're looted kind of alongside the targets and walmarts of the country and then mm-hmm. i guess my third is thinking that the protests are becoming like cynically kind of pointless just because they are becoming like increasingly polite i feel like a lot of the like suburban like pink pussy hat crowd has started to like turn out for like the really massive marches which is On the one hand, it's really great, but when you get kind of uh, such a massive intergenerational community peacefully peacefully marching for something that's like so kind of, I mean, there's, I think there's a pretty universal consensus that like we don't want systematic racism. I mean, but for like 
vehement white supremacists, which I really personally don't think is very much nearly as much of the country as like a lot of people would like to believe. And so as kind of, I don't know, it's like, you know, this is a parallel to peacefully marching for women's equality. Um, and that is kind of, you know, also something that I think most of the world would or country would like to see. Um, and so, yeah, but I think that as protests kind of become that more uh, socially acceptable, politically correct, peaceful, intergenerational um, demographic, they cease to have kind of the edge that really is probably necessary to create political change. Like, I don't think that uh, uh, important change will ever happen politely. So yeah, I don't know. Um, it's interesting that you say that. I, I think I, I tend to agree with you. I feel like the prevailing kind of narrative, though, is this like, you know, we condemn the looters, or actually we disown them. We say, oh, they're outside forces, they're white nationalists that are coming in and actively trying to destroy the move. Like, right. there is this, like, the looter, the looting and the violence is is separate, or it's occurring on the, like, part of the police, which is true. Uh-huh. Um, and that what is effective is the peaceful parts of the protest. Like, I mm. feel like that's sort of the prevailing narrative is that, like, these protests, when peaceful, are highly effective. And yeah. I don't know that that's true. I guess, like, that that's the other thing that, I mean, the effectiveness of these protests, I think, is yet to be seen. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody can really predict that at this point, right? Like, um, I think that those who are organized, whether it was because they were organized before this or because yeah. they now have the momentum time energy or whatever to become organized whether that's because they're out of the job or you know what i mean like mm -hmm. like there are definitely people who have the time right now to organize and if they are organizing i think that there potentially is some good kind of like local community level change that can occur in communities that are ready to accept it like what like minneapolis like defunding the police right is that kind of the scale that you're referencing Right, exactly. Or like, you know, a city like Oakland, I expect we will see some level of police defunding. Uh -huh. And I hope that that is then refunded into something else. Yeah. Um, I think that there are, you know, like the left leaning governments are like receptive to this at this point, you know, but it's, I, I don't know that that's true for like, the red states, you know what I mean? Mm, right, so we kind of just create, like, more of a system where, like, life is, like, passable in, like, urban, liberal kind of mega centers, and in, like, the red states, you're, it's, like, a third world, like, war-torn country, um, where you get, like, shot for trying to get an abortion. Well, and it's not like, I mean, it's not like the, I do think that that, that would be, probably make life better for poor people living in those cities you know what I mean? like it's not to be said that like oh well you know the the people who are already doing well will keep on doing well and then like the people who aren't doing well, like I don't know that it's so simple as that I think that there are people that will be able to be like positively affected by mm -hmm. these protests like I, I I would say I have like no doubt that there will be some good change I guess yeah and but yeah sure. I think that there are so many unpredictable consequences that it's difficult to 
I don't think you can monolithically say that they are good or bad. The intentions mm. may, like, you may be able to say, oh, like, the intentions of, like, dismantling systemic racism are good. Like, that, right. is, a, <laughs> that is a good impulse, and I'm glad that people have that impulse. The protests themselves are what will be achieved by the protests or what will happen as a result of the protests. I think it will be a mix of bad and good. But I yeah. don't know. And I think that the problem is that we're sort of being forced into saying that they are good monolithically because of this like white silence equals violence because what they stand for is objectively well and what they stand for it's noble right like the eradication of of systematic racism it's like extremely noble it's one of the most noble uh one of the most kind of noble things you could fight for in the american culture or empire that said i would personally argue that like the incipient evil or trauma that precedes systematic racism is like runaway extractive capitalism. I mean, I think to me that is like the kind of like supreme evil or poison um, or sickness in like the American soul. And like, I think that, you know, that's kind of the reason why the transatlantic slave trade developed. That's the reason why like, um, I don't know. That's the reason why, like, the the kind of, like, American I interpretation of class, which to me is that, like, you're always good as long as there's a class of people beneath you. I think that's kind of, like, the system that breeds racism. And what concerns me mm-hmm. about the protests is that we have kind of, for the first time in a year, diverted our vitriolic and deserved hatred from the billionaire oligarch class and moved it towards uh, the police unions, which is kind of one of... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are thousands of really racist, shitty police officers, but it is one of the last, like blue-collar, unionized labor forces in the country. And I think the reason why the stock market is surging right now is because, like, Tesla and Amazon, um, like, and the other kind of Fortune 500 companies are no longer scared for their future because they can persist in a world where they're able to stick a Black Lives Matter sticker onto their onto their products, but they are not... Onto the ab- bumper sticker of the Cybertruck. <laughs> exactly, but they're not able to persist in a world where, um, where like, the working class is united and rises up against them. And I just fear that we're getting further and further from that reality in this moment, which I thought we were so close to, like, four months ago. Yeah. Well, I think that is that that was sort of, like, the... Part of the reason why I felt so kind of sad and almost like butt hurt at the beginning was this realization of like, yeah, if this had happened four months ago, I would feel so different about it. And it's not like there haven't been the like murders of black people in the street by the police that have been caught on camera that have mm-hmm. been happening for year. You know, like like this has been a thing surely you know there are things that were exacerbated specifically for the black community because of COVID-19 and I guess you could make the argument that things got worse for the black community and that's why like they have 
you know, why this, like, has boiled over with this, like, last, like, instance of police brutality. I think that's the narrative that people want to say because it's very palatable and it is true to a degree, though I personally think it's more, like, the hysterics of people having been locked in the house for, uh, like, six to eight weeks and just desperately wanting to leave. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's yeah. that's what I think it is more likely. I, I'm sort of just trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to give like a fair shot to like, because yeah, totally. I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I there's, okay, I have yeah. suspicions, I have like, predictions, and I have critiques and thoughts, but it is really hard to know how, why, why things happen the way that they did, why they're continuing to happen the way that they are, and what will happen, like, it, 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 and I think that was sort of like, a lot of, like, logging off of social media and just, like, instead of doing that, just, like, fucking talking to people helped me with is that, like, social media, I mean, especially something like Twitter, although Twitter is useful for other reasons, I think, like, you're basically scrolling through, like, different worlds. Like, you're being thrown into, like, different worlds, Mm. like, every single tweet. Not that they're necessarily that far out of your own world, but, like... You're being thrown into all these different, like, versions of reality. communities. Yeah. Yeah, and you have no idea which are real, if they're all yeah. real, how they can all be. Like, it's very difficult right. to, like, hold a lot of, like, opposing ideas of reality in your head and, like, make sense mm. of them. Yeah. Um, totally. And, you know, Stephen and I just watched uh, Hypernormalization, which is... Uh, yeah, trip trippy documentary. Highly recommend. Twelve but out of essentially, ten to a friend. <laughs> but essentially, like the you know one of the central arguments of this documentary is that like, you know, they sort of frame it as like at some point in the seventies. Although I think you could probably you don't have to frame it historically. But basically, what they said is that you know corporations, governments, and like the technocratic class essentially gave up on trying to solve complicated problems in the real world and instead focused on like creating a simpler fake world in which like the only aim of politics is to maintain and stabilize the status quo. Um, and like you know, it sort of brings up all these points about how like you know the the politics of today are essentially the public being neutralized by infighting and so they're never really able to understand like what is really going on and yeah. like what is causing their suffering because they're flooded with misinformation and contradictory versions of reality all of which are basically some level of fake <laughs> well and i actually think that ties in well to the new atlantis article we mentioned earlier about um how about kind of the scientific community's response to covid which really mentioned that like you know, the political debates of the 21st century avoid any contact with reality, whether it's, like, the federal debt or climate change. They're, like, these, like, or even, like, gun control immigration. They're these, like, it's really about, like, identity. It's about ideology. There's, like, they don't confront, like, anything tactile or material. And I think you could argue through the lens of hyper-normalization that that's by design, because it prevents people Mm -hmm. from mobilizing for something that's meaningful. You know, when the kind of, when everything that's argued about is ideological, it's identitarian. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I think what was the most, like, insane or perhaps relevant part of hyper-normalization to me, which completely blackpilled me, um, (laughs) was that they really talk about, like, the dawn of 
AI um, in like the 1990s and basically how like this group at MIT created the first I mean basically as many of us know creating like a true AI is like impossible we aren't like nearly that technologically adept like ex mahina is a lie um but the the idea was that this group of scientists at MIT created like a psychoanalyst computer called Eliza that would like kind of basically just repeat back to people like what they were putting into it and so it was like a therapist that just repeated back to you like it didn't understand anything it just sort of like like well how do you feel about that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. And people in the age of hyper-individualization, what they found was that that's exactly what we look for because it affirms us and it affirms this kind of like very individual view of the self that we house. And so, and so beginning with that, like, you know, following from those developments, computers basically just became like, um, you know, these, these machines that like, um, you know, intelligent agents that just repeat back to us what we want to see. And therefore, I mean, that's how you get to a point to me, like, um, you know, through the advent of social media, you get people self-organizing into communities that are very identity-based, very inwards facing of like what are essentially yes men. And that's how you you know, and that's what Instagram is. That's what each little Venn diagram in Twitter is, is where we kind of shout into the void and people who agree with us kind of echo back, yes, yes, yes. And that's by design of the computer systems that we're participating in. And that's how you get to a point like Trump or Brexit, where people are like, how did it happen? Because mm-hmm. they've like only been speaking to people who agree with them, uh, you know, to to the extent that it's completely absurd for like literally years. Or strategically, years. strategically, uh, interacting with people that disagree with them on a on a line of thinking that challenges neither of their like version of reality. You know what I mean? Like sure, if you yeah. if if you are on one side of the spectrum, you can engage with people that are on the polar opposite by like quote tweeting them and like shading them. And then all of your like people <laughs> respond to that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think right. Like, that, or that's you get someone canceled or dogs. Or you're well, like... <laughs> and I mean the, the entirety of like the way that we interact with each other on social media is like what, that's like what Facebook and Twitter, like Instagram, all of those platforms are in the business of doing is like designing how we interact with each other, you right. know, mm-hmm. like, and also figuring out like how they can monetize like the vast quantities of data that they're collecting from us. Like that's right. basically what they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the first, the first is a kind of enables them to amalgamate more mass data, which they're then able to sell. But, like, right, the whole, well, that's well, the whole reason why they want to kind of surround us with yes men, because then we'll participate more. Well, yeah, it's 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 essentially, like, creating, like, the Eliza AI is, like, what will keep people hooked on the platform for as long as possible? And also clicking, because, like, we, I mean, and we didn't really know, like, at the beginning of the internet that, like, the, that advertising would be... S- the way to monetize it, you know what I mean? But but advertising requires you clicking, it requires you scrolling, it requires you, like, continuing to look, right. you know? Yeah. And to look at more. And and I think, like, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all the successful social media platforms that people are having, you know, these sort of, like, 
that, that they're organizing with, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what Instagram and Twitter are right now is like, that's how, like, I don't know how else people can organize, you know, is, is social media is really like such like a ubiquitous tool in like, in, in all of these like protests, because like, right. that's how you get your message out. But like, even the way that they're designed I mean, it's like the master's tools, you know what I mean? Like, they're keeping you you talking to the people that don't challenge your way of thinking. And that doesn't have to just be yes men. Right. It can also be people that affirm the antithesis to you. Right, foils. And create the dichotomy. Mm -hmm. And create the enemy. And, and like, I I think... Right, like, I feel like there's... I've seen so many, like, random posts on Facebook where, like, you know, some woke, like, lefty is, like, Black Lives Matter. And the first comment is, like, they're, you know, racist on being, like, all lives matter! <laughs> <laughs> right, and that's exactly what you're saying. She's she's playing the foil, right? Yeah. She's creating the illusion of, like, of dialogue, of, like, confrontation. But it's literally, it's so immaterial. And it's so, like, I mean, I hate to say it, but it it's not changing anyone's position or politics or beliefs. I mean, I, I think I, you have to make the argument to me that it does because, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's what I would challenge people to do who are really trying to engage with, uh, you know, posting as a form of, like, social activism right now. Yeah. is like, make the argument to me that it does change people's minds, that it does, like, wake people up. Like, because I, I think it's just sort of, like, a given that we've, we've been told to accept, but I yeah. I don't think it's a given, you know? Like, <laughs> I, yeah. The, um, I mean, that's, that really does come back to, to like what I just find, I think what I find maybe the most scary or distressing about these protests is that I actually believe that there is like a huge part of the country that like still does like respect police unions and still does want their communities to be policed in the way that they are being policed. And I just worry that because these protests are being kind of basically orchestrated and performed along existing political lines, like it literally, I mean, as much as, you know, the wokes love to decry the Democratic Party, this is literally the Democratic Party base that's protesting right now. Right. It's like urban blacks and woke whites and academics. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I don't, and that isn't to say that like the, the message or the ideals are not necessary and noble, but it does mean that this is not creating a coalition. This is just dividing even more along the lines that like had already divided us kind of so relentlessly. Um, And those are the same lines that dividing lines that prevent us from effectively mobilizing against the billionaire oligarchic class. Like, because at the end of the day, like it's preventing, uh, like urban blacks, white working class, like rural working class whites and like Latino migrant workers from like mobilizing together, which is literally what would be necessary in order to create like the kind of, the uprising against like global capitalism. I think I, I agree with you. I would say that like the argument to the contrary is essentially gambling that that's not happening, that you're not dividing people, that actually there are a lot of people who care more about system, like dismantling systemic racism than love the cops. But I think it's a gamble, you know? Yeah. 
Like, I, I, I think, I tend to agree with you. I think that there are, I mean, yeah, it's just, like, who really knows, like, in, like, the Twitter, Instagram, media world bubbles, like, what is going on inside, like, the rural American's head? Yeah, you know? right, like, totally. I, I mean, say, I like, just... Steve Bannon is probably the closest we get, <laughs> like, <laughs> to, get like, being, like, pod. a psychotic, like, whisperer to, like, the mm-hmm. MAGA people. But, but, I mean, really, like, it's just... Right. I, I don't think, I don't think anybody knows for sure how this is being received, I guess. Yeah. Um, including myself, even though my, like, and my inclination is to think that it is dividing. Right. To yeah. what extent do you think that, like, the MAGA people are, like, racist? Just out of curiosity. I feel like we follow, like, a a handful of QAnon people separately and together. And I feel like they're always like, I'm not racist. Are you kidding? Like my wife's from Columbia or something. (laughs) And, and I think, I don't know. I mean, I think that there probably is a lot of like entrenched cultural racism, like in the, uh, in how those people like kind of view the world and go about their day-to-day life that's like probably like really impolite and a bit offensive but I don't think it's violent and I don't think it's like and I think and I think that they would similarly like to live my guess is they would similarly like to live in an America that doesn't have like the public school to prison pipeline that doesn't have the kind of institutional levels of racism that we have. I think that there's an argument to be made that a lot of them are woefully uneducated about race in America and the history right. of race in America. Like, I definitely think that racism or or just like the model of white supremacy is the default, you know, like, and, and to that end, I think like the if you're not being anti-racist, you're being racist argument makes sense in terms of like, if yeah. you're not, if you're not actively working to like, dismantle the status quo, then you are participating in a racist system because the status quo is structurally racist. Like, I definitely agree with that. And I think that there are a lot of Americans, like the MAGA people, I would say the majority of them probably don't understand that or don't accept that. Right. Or they're saying like, I mean, our white communities are so traumatized by like meth and unemployment that like, no offense, but like, I think they're focusing on that trauma as opposed to focusing on the trauma of systematic racism. In terms I think of you're like giving day-to-day. I think you're giving them a little bit too much credit. I think probably <laughs> a lot of them are more along the lines of like, well, maybe black people should stop breaking the law so much. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's more okay. like that, where it's like it's it's the but it's it's the result of like strategic division of like the lower class by the elites. You know, yeah, like totally. It, it's just fanning the racism from the other side. Right. You know. Well, I think um, the elites know that like racism is the tool. It's like the the keystone in America to kind of keep the working class from uniting successfully for yeah, like, yeah, economic exactly. justice. Exactly, exactly. And so I think like I think that it's hard for me to like put like a value on like, well, how much of like the MAGA people are racist? I think if you define racism on the anti racist axis, then all of them, right? But right. like I don't yeah. necessarily like think that that's the I don't think that that's the right way to conceive of individual human beings. You know what I mean? Or even, Mm -hmm. I mean, even groups of people that are sort of like passively involved, you know? Like, I don't think that the anti-racist, racist axis works for everything. I think it's a useful tool of analysis and 
specific situations. Same thing with white silence equals violence. The problem is that, like, those messages have essentially been watered down and, like, imported into, like, everybody's vocabulary regardless of, like, how -hmm. deeply they're thinking about things or not. And so they're like, they're like, if you're not posting... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're being racist you know like that right. that's the that's the highest that they can conceive of it yeah and that's not the movement i would say that's like the pussy hat equivalent of the movement right you know? yeah yeah no one's like doing the self-work um but i think i think you have to I, I mean i think that's that's sort of what prevents me from being more optimistic about the movement is that i wonder how many people that are so uh, like aggressively supporting the movement right now are the same people who were shaming people for going outside four weeks ago or three weeks. I don't even know how much time has passed. It feels like forever. And then mm-hmm. just immediately flip-flopped. Like when it's the next thing, when it's the next big crisis and there will be a next big crisis, are those right. people still going to be on your side or in the movement? Mm. I don't, you know, like, like, like the, the fight against, the fight against police is going to be like a long and complicated one. If that's the one that you're trying to fight, like if that's the battle you're trying to have, like defund the police and refund it into other categories of like right. local government spending, that's a that's a long haul battle. And right. I think that there are certainly people that are in it for the long haul. And I'm honestly like very happy for like, the people that have been organizing, trying to do something about like criminal justice reform for right. so long and never really had like, I, I think like, the, yeah, well, and just like, like there was always like this push of like, well, we don't want to change things. And now there is this push of like, we want to change things. I think if right. you're organized and you know exactly what you want and you're willing to be in it for the long haul, you can get things changed. But I, I, I think that you can't rely on the pussy hat class <laughs> to be there for you the whole way. They're not going to be. Right. You know? Yeah. They show up when it's easy. Yeah. They They're, show up yeah. when it's like convenient for them. And like. Right. I, and I, I and don't they know. don't it's, want like, they don't necessarily want like super meaningful change because they benefit from the system. And yeah. yeah if you're going to mobilize half the country though, you have to like negotiate with people who don't want to see like radical change in the system. I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, um, I guess it's just the question of, are you tangibly and concisively changing their mind and convincing them of your point? Or are you just allowing them to water down your point to a level that is compatible with their maintenance, like maintenance of the status quo? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, and I mean, I think that grapples with something that I've been struggling with over the last few months, which is, like, what does it mean to, like, what does it mean to change someone's mind? Like, and I Mm. thought about Mm -hmm. this a lot while I was canvassing in Houston, where, like, uh, the kind of Bernie campaign, in my opinion, did, like, a truly terrible job of, like, mobilizing in terms of like black leadership and working with like black working class communities. And I mean, case in point, they like literally had me going door to door in like black working class Houston to like try and convince people to vote for Bernie. And I was like, literally like what business do I have telling these people how to practice politics? But also for me to think that in like a 90 second conversation, I can kind of like, 
pivot these people on serious, like, emotional and ideological issues is not only completely condescending and patronizing to them and their experience and, like, what's enabled them to accumulate that experience, but it's also just, like, pathological. Like, I mean, that's just not... Well, and it doesn't work. I think it's... Yeah, a 90-second with a strange conversation with a stranger, unless you're, like, literally, like, a lunatic, you, like, leave the conversation Mm. and you're, like okay, like, you know, I'll, like, process that and, like, put it in, like, brain storage. But, like, you're not, like, changing the way that you live. And so, I mean, that's kind of what I think is so crazy about a lot of this moment. Well, so there was the meme that was, like, going around that was, like, talk to your parents, I don't care if it's too hard. And I actually really personally agreed with that. Um, I think that, like, if if ideological kind of issues of systematic racism are what you really care about, I think those conversations should be having with, should be happening offline and with like family, close friends and neighbors. Like, I just think that like, if you really, really think that like making a change on someone else's position on racism, like such a deep seated ideological kind of belief, that's the accumulation of all your life experiences Like, I think you should start with people you have really kind of, like, deep-rooted emotional connections with, which is kind of what makes it so ironic to me that it's all being led by, I feel like, people who are, like, fuck going home to my family at Thanksgiving. I was gonna say, My parents are fucking racist. (laughs) I think that, like, your interpretation of that is correct, but what I think, I think the actual, like, messaging behind that is more, like, post a screenshot of, like, you fighting with your mom about racism and, like, where she tells you that you can't come home for the holidays and you're, like, (laughs) yes, winning. And then, yeah, and then your Twitter community's, like, ah, hun. They're, like, we're your family. (laughs) You guys are bots. Like, I'm not even sure you guys fucking exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and, I mean, I think that this... That idea to me that like you, you know, like you leave home for the big city where you find your chosen family. I think that's a unique myth of American liberalism. I don't think that happens in Europe or in Asia. I think people have like the idea that you like leave your family and you like put down new roots somewhere else that are better and more resilient. Like I really don't, I think it's a a myth of like American capitalism that we're sold. And so I think it's funny that like that same myth like, the, the same people who kind of buy into and purchase that myth are now, like, protesting. It's, like, with the master's tools again. Like, they're, well, like, they're using they're the, the tools the same of ones American that are, liberalism. That are trying to argue that, like, well, communities should police themselves with their, like, you know, lovely, like, interconnectedness and, like, the way that they all work so well together. And it's, like, bitch, go home and police your own community. Like, <laughs> you, you don't have community with the people living on your block in Manhattan, like, when I you know. three years ago. Uh, all of like, you, I'm like, sorry. yeah, leave when you're, like, 34 to raise families in the suburbs or whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying, like, I participate in that system to a degree, but I also, I don't know, I think it's really worth kind of it's worth acknowledging and it's worth fighting against that impulse, in my opinion. And that goes deeper than just these protests. I mean, that is kind of the impulse to, like, sever our ties and try to create new ones in a completely different place. Um, 
Well, and okay, so this is sort of uh, moving on to a different topic, but it kind of ties in. Like, if you, so if you like accept the thesis of hypernormalization that, you know, essentially we're living in these like little fake world bubbles in which uh-huh. like the problems and political discussions like that we partake in largely exist in order to like, to like stabilize the status quo and maintain things. What are the ways that you can actually engage with and access the real world? Because I would argue that's like, maybe the only way to change things right Right. yeah so like how do we actually access like what is real in like the post-truth post-chaos kind of reality world yeah Mm -hmm. i mean it's really like hard to say i think my gut wants to say protesting because it's like it's like tactile it's material like there are kind of But what do you mean by protesting? Right. Well, and also, like, that (laughs) begs the question of, like, are all protests inherently good just because, like, it is a protest, which, I don't know, look at, like, Egypt and the Arab Spring. Um, Clearly, to some extent, they're not. So, I I mean, I think that what feels problematic or, like, shitty about a lot of protesting, and especially, like, the pink pussy hat kind of crowd, is that it's not sustained, like... It's kind of the idea that you can, like, go somewhere and protest for, like, the weekend or you can have a suite of 90-second conversations and, like, mm-hmm. you've kind of, you've done Checked the Lord's the box. work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, <clears throat> well, I guess it's, like, what we opened this conversation with about how, like, you know, we consume information so frenetically in ADD and then that's just how we live and think. I think our protesting now is probably to some extent an expression of that. It's a very, it's a very ADD protesting. So I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it would be, I guess like to me, it has to be tactile. It has to be non-digital. And I think that it has to be sustained. So like, I don't know, community groups, prison reform groups, like group, public schools, like volunteerism, I guess. Uh, But like, Yeah, that's my answer, I think, if it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Mine is, like, much more abstract than that. Okay. Like, basically, my answer is that, like, I think the easiest way for me is talking to people and actually trying to understand them rather than just, like, project your own self or, like, your own opinion of the world onto them. Okay. Like, I think, I think, like... I mean, exactly what you were saying about, like, have the conversations with your family or whatever. Like, I don't necessarily think that that's, like, show up to your parents' house with, like, a copy of White Fragility and be like, we're reading this. <laughs> like, I think yeah. it's 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 sort of, like, trying to engage with them and understand them on a level that, like, allows you to deeply connect. And yeah. then trying, trying to find where the common ground is or, like, where where the things are that like unite yourself with the other person and like where you can understand them and have them understand you on a deeper level. Like, I think that definitely like genuine deep human connection definitely exists in the real world, you know? And I think that like, that's something that's not necessarily, I don't want to say it's like easy enough to access, but it's something that like, well, it's extremely natural to access. It's literally our like biological condition. It's just, we've been so kind of like, we habitually refrain from it because it's no longer, like, how we live. Well, Um, and then, yeah, my other point was, like, having a relationship with things that exist outside of the status quo 
i.e. like nature or animals, like things that move like in a different, like that move according to a different system, you know, and that like in doing so you can conceptualize. Well, I I mean, I guess so, so that leading into like what I think the best thing that you can do in order to access the real world is like actively envision something different. Like what would that world look like? How would it function? Yeah. And, And I think that that's something that's, From what I can tell, a lot of the protesters, like, especially on the, like, abolish the police side of things, that's, that's the thing that they're not able to do is that they're able to criticize and reject, but they aren't able to actively envision a future. And, like, I think that's, that's crucially important. Like, you have to be able to, like, fully envision and, like, be able to manifest something different or else you will just create a vacuum that will be filled by something else. And you may not have control over what that is that fills the vacuum. Uh huh. Well, and back to the master's tools. I mean, I think Twitter to me has always worked really great for people who are like, you know, always the critic, never the kind of like, what's the opposite of the critic, the creator, if you will. (laughs) But like, because you only have 160 characters, you cannot like, you cannot, like, world an idea or a reality in 160 characters or less, but you can, like, say why this one sucks. And so, again, it's like the master's tools. We've kind of created... We've built our... We've gotten ourselves to this place where we're also just conditioned to think in 160 characters or less. I That's such a, like, vanilla-ass thing. <laughs> that's, like, very, like, target wall art. Um, <laughs> I want that on my wall. Um. <laughs> yeah i'll make it happen um no but but it's true i mean i think like and that's that's i think you know what i was getting at with like having a relationship with things that exist outside of the status quo is like having a relationship with something that like works on a different time scale or like that brings you outside of like the status quo thinking because like as long as you're as long as you're operating under the same framework you will never allow the framework to change you yeah. know mm-hmm. um and i think that you know is sort of my issue with like framing literally everything as anti-racist is that if you're framing yourself as antithetical yeah, to yeah. racism in and of itself you will never defeat racism yeah then racism you know? will always be what's like in your it heart. has to persist in order yeah. for your movement to persist of and course, so like yeah. you have to be able to like you have to be able to see something further along than, yeah. than the current moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean do like the, you know, we're all one human race, one love shtick. <laughs> I don't think I do that. But I think like, I think if you don't, yeah, it's what I said before. If you don't have a vision for the future, I promise you somebody else does. And it's probably going to be the fucking technocrats. Right. Like, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. Google has like five, like, multi-million dollar employees whose job is just to predict what's going to happen in the future and what people are going to want and what voids will open up for Google to fill. Yeah, like, I'm sure they all have, like, Black Lives Matter bumper stickers on their, like, you know, Android computers, laptops, because it's, like, they can. They can well, co-opt our movement if we're not, like, kind of, like, preempting them from doing that. I mean, I got an email from Instagram uh, that said, like, you know, you haven't logged on in a while. Are you sure you don't want to come on and post for Black Lives Matter? They miss you. Oh they God. miss me. And it was just like this moment of just like, 
Oh, right. Like, they're making so much money right now. Yeah. Like, so much money, you know? Yeah, yeah. Totally. And I don't blame any, like, I don't blame, like, the protesters or, like, Black Lives Matter or, like, the organizers for that. It's, like, a very, like, profoundly sad and difficult thing to get around that, like, at the end of the day, we are sort of, like, Corporations want to sabotage every social movement we will ever make. Yeah, and we're limited to, like, their scope in in a lot of ways, which is, like, I don't know, it's, like, a very sad reality to me. Um, Yeah. But I think, like, that's that's why it's important to, yeah, engage with longer forms of, like, reading, for example. Or to, like, grow a garden or, like, talk to people and have a discussion that's, like, not, like, just being viewed by everybody in your comment section or, like just, like, quote tweeting, like, who can do the best shade, like, really try to, like, engage with people, because that is, I mean, that's the only way to get out of, like, (laughs) the shackles that we're all fucking in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) The answer is logging off. (laughs) If this is it, I'm signing off, you know what I mean? Like... I mean... (laughs) We're, like, off. I don't even know how we're going to promo this episode. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The question I had for you, Erin, was, like, you know, in what capacity do you believe in social movements or uprisings? Because, I mean, to me, like, I definitely believe that a social movement or uprising is the only thing that can save us collectively from, like, a collapsed global ecology under climate change and, like, a runaway corporate oligarchy? Um, I mean, I think it's probably true that social movements and uprisings are the only thing that can disrupt the status quo, and the status quo is what you just described, right? Like, collapse of the global, you know, whatever, like, ecosystem Uh collapse, capitalism, whatever. Um, and so as long as you go along with it, even if you're like disapproving of it on your own or not, like you're, as long as you're going along with it, that will always like be the path that we're on. And so like, I guess like active dissent and like social movements as a collective, like way of expressing dissent is sort of the only way to yeah, to enact change. Like, like I guess, like, you right. can't do it on your own. Like, you need to do it with... You need to organize with people. You need to, like, collectively do it. Like, Yeah, sure. if no one dissents, the, the, like, the train's just gonna keep going off the rails. In, like, right, totally, exactly. Totally terrible But I think... Way. I think, like... I think that it's important that you not only reject the current status quo, but that you, like, kind of posit a new one. Like, as I said before, you know, like, yeah. I, I think... I think you can't... I don't know, like, you, you can't just, like, answer the questions that you don't have a like tactile answer for in like a rhetorical like snarky way and expect that like that is like actively changing the world you know yeah right like you have to be able to like engage with like all different facets of like what you're trying to do yeah um and i i think that's that's my biggest critique of the protests right now is that like i would say the overarching messaging is not super organized and there's a lot of conflicting kind of like visions for what the protests are trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. And like whether it's eight can't wait, abolishing the police, dissolving the American government. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are tears. <laughs> yeah, and and I think like it's I I can't really have like a 
hot take or like one particular take on the protests or even like protests like as a thing because it's just like so there's so many complicated factors that like have brought us to the moment that we're in right now and like why people are getting out of their house and going to the protest like there's lots of different reasons you know yeah and so like I I think it's like there's an inclination amongst people right now to kind of bin things into this like good or bad black or white whatever like category like category because they can sense the chaos and uncertainty of the moment and I think like for me it's like there's no way of getting around (laughs) the chaos and uncertainty of the moment in this moment I have to like conceive of another way you know Mm -hmm. and and like I don't know yeah it's just it's so I I guess like it's hard for me to say like oh protests are the only thing that change things so we have to protest all the time because i'm just like there's so many different things that go into what protest even means you know what shape it takes not yeah like is a protest inherently good i mean i guess on some how about the reopen the economy protests are those inherently good are they the only thing that can you know like it's just it's 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 complicated huh yeah yeah well, I don't know. I think that's like That's all the thoughts we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy times. Um Crazy fucking times, dude. I I yeah, I truly can't sleep because I'm too busy like praying for my haters, my lovers, <laughs> my everyone praying in for between. The world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You have to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just... I think I've only recently got to a point where I even feel like I can talk about what's going on. Not because of, like, worried about being cancelled or whatever. Although I would be lying if I didn't say that that was, like, not in the back of my mind at times. But yeah. more just that, like, it, it feels very surreal. Like, the whole... I, I mean, just the last couple months have been so surreal and I just like I feel like living through this moment like <laughs> is something that I'll look back on like very probably very differently than it feels right now because I'll have the context of what happens next you know right. like I yeah. don't have any context like I, I have no prediction at this point for like what the hell is going to happen with the rest of 2020 it yeah. feels like we could it's go in a scary. million fucking directions. It's insane. I mean, yeah, I realizing stuff squad, watch hypernormalization. I mean, yeah. I really I couldn't sleep because it just like it is kind of you know, as much as I love to like uh not glorify Trump, but like uh acknowledge that he represents like uh in many ways like the political desires of like or the political representation of poor America. Um, I did kind of just make me really scared for like the reality that him and not just him, like the entire political establishment he represents, like what they've created, like it's post truth, it's post chaos. And it's like, it's really scary to think about like where we go from here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I don't know. But we're back. We're in it. 
<laughs> we're gonna be potting from the end of time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah. Much, much love. Much love to all the listeners. We hope you guys are safe and healthy. Um, nothing but love. Nothing but love. Uh, <laughs> okay. Should we sign off? Yeah. Literally. Bye. Literally. Bye.